Welcome to the MMA Roadshow, episode number 182. My name is John Morgan. Cold coffee is not with me right now, but for a damn fine reason. First of all, I am back in beautiful Boise, Idaho for Bellator 205 McKee versus Makapa. It's about 5 p.m. here in Boise. Sun's still out. Love this town. Can't beat it, man. Second time here in a short period of time, and I love it. It's a great, great town. But I know you don't want to talk about no Bellator 205 right now. No offense, because we're going to talk some Bellator 205. It's been a fun week here. I'm actually looking forward to the card. But the reason Cole Coffey is not with me is because he is in New York for that UFC 229 press conference that I just finished watching just like you did. Had the stream fired up here in my hotel room. I will say the Wi-Fi here in the Grove. Folks at the Grove, if you're listening to me, I love your hotel, but you gotta you got to up your Wi-Fi game. So I had to... I had to use my phone as a hotspot to stream that bad boy, but I streamed it. Everybody streamed it. Come on, man. If you listen to this show, you were streaming that press conference. No question about it. I'm still decompressing a little bit. It only ended a few minutes ago, and I got to say, I think there's only one immediate proper reaction to the press conference with Habib Nurmagomedov and Conor McGregor. And it goes a little something like this. Holy God. <laughs> Let me just throw it out there right now. Now, this is this is a immediate. I haven't had a lot of time to sit down and think about it. This is pretty quick. But I got to say, I feel a lot like I did after the fourth and final stop on the May Mac World Tour. I feel a little bit like that. The press conference to me ran a little bit off the rails And I want to preface this right away by saying I am not attacking the fight. I am not trying to pretend as if I do not believe this is an incredible matchup and that I can't wait for October 6th. But that press conference just seemed a little bit of a mess to me, right? It's going to do its job. It it got a face-off in there. Everybody's going to be clicking on that face-off. They're going to see it. It got some good one-liners in there. It it, It got some things. It's going to do its job. But immediately right away, I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I want to have a frosty beverage. And so I'm going to. <laughs> Let's break it down. Uh, first of all, like I said, Cole Coffee, as we're talking about this, give him a shout out. Because literally as I'm sitting here talking about this right now, he's still in the trenches right now. There is a, a scrum coming up with USC President Dana White that he's going to have uh, shortly as well. Um, should be noted, I guess, that Conor McGregor and Habib Nurmagomedov both left the building shortly after uh, the press conference was over. I think they were originally scheduled to do some scrums and some other stuff as well, but I think everybody decided after that press conference maybe it was in everybody's best interest to just get them out of there, and I, and I don't necessarily agree with that. So, um, listen, off the top, I mean, the presser felt big, right? I mean, it, it really did. Beautiful setup there at Radio City Music Hall. Um, the... The setup was good. You could see early on that uh, you know they had the belt out there for for Habib Nurmagomedov. He actually came before they they started the press conference and grabbed his belt off the table just to make sure that Conor McGregor wouldn't be stealing his belt, which was a, a pretty a pretty smart move there by Habib Nurmagomedov. He's he's seen some of these past press conferences, but of course 
Not to be one up, Conor McGregor brought two belts. So why did he need to take Habib's? He had two belts of his own and a bottle of proper 12 whiskey. I will say, I am going to have to try some proper 12. It looked like he was enjoying it during the press conference. Um, I thought the I thought the intro felt big. I mean, I really did. I think you know they're kind of playing this ominous music. This uh, I think on our internal chat here at MMA Junkie, somebody said it was kind of a Game of Thrones type music. Uh, and it, I, I mean, I liked it. I, I did like the feeling of it. And, and listen, I like the, the promo materials. If you guys have noticed, you know, they've started kind of rolling out these promo materials. And, and there's probably, you know, I think somebody said there's like six or, or eight different versions of, of these promo materials. Um, so they've done a lot of different little packages promoting the event. And, and, and believe me, you're going to be seeing these ad nauseum until October 6th, man. These things are going to be playing over and over everywhere. I know everybody was sad that it took so long to get promotion started. People wanted a world tour, but I mean, listen, bottom line is your pay-per-views are sold the week of a fight. I mean, that's, I don't pretend to be a pay-per-view expert, but that's the way I feel and what what I've seen just through experience is that it's that week of the fight when, when the fight's really made. Um, and so I think it's okay that they got a, a, a late start on the promotion here. These these guys, this fight doesn't need a ton of promotion. And, and Conor McGregor, you know, one of the biggest stars on the planet, you know, in, in sports and definitely, you know, the biggest star in UFC history. So I don't think that's a big deal. The promo material, some questions were brought up. Um, it, it was addressed very quickly. You know, why have the bus incident in there? And I think you have to have the bus incident. I, I do, and I've, I've heard a lot of people say it, and, and I agree, man. You know, if you're Michael Chiesa, if you're Rose Namajunas, you know, and you have these lingering issues, you know, even Ray Borg, who's who's kind of distanced himself from everything and said that he's, you know, I think he's kind of said, look, I'm over it, I'm, I'm good, whatever. Um, you know, I, I think it's okay to, to have those in there. I get why they would be frustrated, why it would be painful. Um, I, I guess it just bolsters your case. I mean, you're saying, look, they're using my pain and suffering to a degree to help promote and make money. So I think that just ends up promoting your case at the end of the day. Um, and I think you heard, I mean, the, I mean, when have you ever heard Conor McGregor say no comment? Um, but he no commented to that question of like, hey, what do you think about the, the bus attack being in the promo materials? Dana dismissed it right away and said, of course, you know, it's, it's part of the story. And, and, and I agree, it's true. I get why some people would say it's insensitive, and and I understand if if you're a Michael Chiesa, if you're Rose Namajunas who ha- who has these ongoing problems, I get why you would say, hey, this is not right, and I get why you would say, and I deserve a piece of the pie because it's my pain and suffering that's being thrown out there. But come on, man, you you can't promote this fight and pretend like that didn't happen. You just can't. So I I have no problem with that being in there. Um. So that that was it. So you get everybody on stage. You got these beautiful promo materials that the UFC put together. You got this nice setup on the stage, the lighting, all that good stuff. And then right away, it's so evident that the atmosphere is weird. You know, the fact that they decided to have this press conference with only media there and no fans. And it made for a weird atmosphere. There's no way around it. And I understand the UFC's perspective right away. And again, Dana kind of addressed it. He said, listen, we've had problems in New York before. I don't want problems now. And, you know, I, I can, you know, I imagine that the that the UFC security staff probably had some recommendations here to not have it. You know, ultimately that falls down to the executives. But come on, man. I mean, this this is, I mean, you saw just the intensity between 
those two guys, those two fighters on the stage. Can you imagine if you had their passionate fan bases in that building as well? No, it would not have been a good situation. So I understand why people would criticize the UFC, but I, I believe this was probably a very, very smart decision. Um, you know, I, I'm a big soccer fan. I know a lot of people don't necessarily like soccer, but if you ever go to like a, a match in some of the European leagues and you see the way that, you know, you have to have rows of security basically to keep the supporters of the two different teams away but how do you do that in in a thing that's free and open to the public? I mean, you you can't do. I you know I've I've gone to some a couple of games in in um, in Europe where you have to um, you know g- give like your passport and your name to get tickets and stuff like that. And obviously our European listeners will know what I'm talking about. And and I'm sure in some of the other parts of the of the world as well. I, I've never had a chance to. Well, I've gone to some games in Brazil, but. Um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. It's just they go to extraordinary measures to make sure that people are kept apart from each other to minimize the risk. If you're if you're talking about a situation where it's just a, a free, you know, entertainment basically, and yes, they do have situations where they ask, you know, where they, where you have to go get a ticket from somewhere, somewhere, but you know, to to ask to be in the Connor supporting section or ask to be, come on, man. I mean, it just it would have been a nightmare. So. Um, to me, I, I mean, people can argue all they want, but to me, I, I, you know, I understand it's entirely from a security perspective, and I think it was the right decision. That said, it's still made for an incredibly weird atmosphere, and you know, for Connor to attack the UFC basically right away, you know, it was, hey, did you get ownership? Hell no! If I was an owner, I would have done this. I would have done that. Uh, blah 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 blah. You know, Connor's never going to. Uh, take one for the team so to speak I mean he threw them under the bus right away but but he's right and I think he's right because he got screwed a little bit in this situation the atmosphere played to Habib's nature you know Habib knew that Connor was going to come in there and be yelling and screaming and talking trash Habib knew that and he knew I just got to tune this guy out but I have been in so many of those press conferences and so many buildings where it's not just Connor it's it's Connor says something and then an entire arena starts yelling at you and 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 cheering and laughing and booing and and chanting and doing whatever else and that adds to it. It's easy to just ignore somebody. I mean, hell, haven't we all ignored our girlfriend or wife at one point in time, right? They just chirp it in your ear, chirp it in your ear, <laughs> and you tune them out, and that's okay to do. But then imagine if there's a you know. Put put yourself back on the playground, and, and somebody's talking trash to you, and you're like, ah, this guy's not going to get to me. But then everybody around you is like, oh, you're going to let him do that? You're going to let him do that? that? And that's essentially what these arenas become. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, I love New York for that. I'm not the biggest New York City fan of all time. Uh, I do love Brooklyn, not so much Manhattan. Uh, but I love the crowds that are in New York. I really, really do love the crowds that are in New York. They're, to me, one, one of the most fun crowds ever, you know, when it comes to these press conferences because they are cheering, they're yelling, they're heckling, they're doing all these things. And had Connor had that support there, um, I think it would have made things feel different today. Instead, you know, you've got a red-faced, whiskey-drinking Connor McGregor yelling, and and it just doesn't play the same way. And I think that played to Habib's advantage. I mean – not that Connor didn't get to deliver all the barbs he wanted to deliver, but 
I think the fact that there was no media there, or excuse me, no fans there to react really played to Habib's favor. Now, I will say this, and Cole Coffey and I had talked about it before. I think it would have been pretty cool had they set up the press conference with some security in between the two guys. I think Habib and Connor should have had some security there between the two of them. Now, um, I get it. You know, do you necessarily want New York's finest being a prop in your press conference? No. So maybe it's got to be either private security that you hired. I mean, certainly you can hire uh, bodyguard type people to to stand there. And um, I don't want to say play along because it's not total show. I mean, you do want to keep those guys apart. Um, but just to have UFC President Dana White awkwardly holding them back during the whole thing, A, it, it just made him look uncomfortable the whole time. It looked like he felt weird the whole time, and it just it just gave this awkward feeling right in between them. Um, but also, I, I, I don't want to say it doesn't seem genuine, but uh, at the end of the day, if those two guys decide to go at it, I mean, how much is Dana White going to be able to hold them back? Not much, right? I mean, I think he'd be the first to admit it. He's there as a, as a um, you know, a, 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 a figure of strength in there, an authority figure to, to, to try to make the suggestion that, hey, you know I'm the boss, stay back. But if they decide to go at it, he ain't stopping them. Now, of course, there's security on the left and right, and they'll rush in right away. But I don't know. I just think it – had you just put a couple of big bodyguard-type security people um, – I think it would have felt a little bit less awkward, if that makes sense. Uh, so I, I, I thought that while the atmosphere was always going to be bizarre, I think the UFC could have helped that a little bit by maybe kind of upping the tension level by having security in between them and making it clear why there's nobody here, you know? Um, and just watch the thing. You know, the reason I joked opening up, I need to crack open a frosty beverage it just pained me a little bit to watch the whole thing play out. Um, you know, I think Dana afterwards uh, told Aaron Bronstetter it was one of the most, uh, you know, one of the darkest press conferences he's ever felt because of the, you know, the political plays and the family plays and, and all these things. And um, there's truth to that. And I, I, I don't know. It's um, This is part of the game that we play. It is sports entertainment, right? We, we, we admit that. And... This is going to get more clicks than than anything. This is, I mean, this is good for MMA Junkie. This is good for the MMA business. But for me personally, I just didn't enjoy it, man. I mean, as played out as it was, you know, the Conor McGregor, who the fuck is that guy? That's great, man. That's great. The, the red panty night, that's great, man. I mean, that is solid, witty, quick, fun, great trash talk. That's fun, man. That's fun. Uh, you know, Connor saying it's a good thing you didn't get off the bus because you'd be dead and I'd be in a cell right now. I just, I can't get down with that, man. I just, I, I can't get down with that. And again, I'm not trying to play some, well, you know, we need to take this sport more seriously. And no, 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 I get it, man. This is about promotion. It is about rivalry. Uh, but some of it just went too far to me today. Very much like that last stop on the Maymac tour where where I, I was just like, can we just move along and get, get to the fight at this point? And maybe, again, it falls back to the fact that Dana, uh, excuse me, that Connor didn't have that crowd 
to play with him. So he didn't get to to have that kind of momentum build and that that emotion build and them supporting him because then he doesn't have to nonstop uh, yell and, and that sort of thing because he's got them to do it for him. Um, and, and, and so maybe that played into it a little bit. But then, you know, the the the, the Connor with the, the mocking, condescending voice of, of Connor or of Habib was like, me, me, me. Like, come on, man. That didn't do anything for me. And then the the, the little cackling he was doing under, it was just, I don't know. It, it felt forced. And, 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 again, I mean, these guys have a – I mean, it is about the fight. Of course it's about the fight. But it's about business for these two. And they got a lot of money on the line. And, and Connor does this better than anybody else in the game, man. He is the best self-promoter in the game. And I'm sure he realized how important today was. If you're not going to have a lot of promotion, if you're not going to have a lot of buildup, then it's got to be a home run when you're there. And so, you know, I'm sure he felt, for a guy that feels no pressure in the octagon whatsoever, I'm sure he felt not necessarily pressure to deliver, but a responsibility to deliver. I mean, the guy made sure he brought his own championship belts, right? Because he knew the USC wasn't going to have them for him. He made sure to bring his own whiskey, right? He even made sure to bring... Uh, a backup flask of whiskey in case this big whiskey got stolen. So I, I thought that was great. Um, but I just felt overall the the, the, the work fell a little bit flat and, and frustrated me a little bit. Again, I want to stress, not tempering my enthusiasm for the fight one bit. My God, this fight is going to be awesome, man. That moment when we're in the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas on October 6th, Ooh, the lights are down. They're standing in the cage across from each other. We know that Habib is the worst stylistic matchup for Connor. He's got the wrestling. He's got the aggression. He's got the relentless pace. We know that if it goes five rounds, it's going to be tough. That's going to be fun. But then on the other side of the cage, we know that Connor McGregor, dangerous striker, the big left hand, can put down anybody in the division. I mean... It's going to be tense. The crowd is going to be amazing. It won't be a T-Mobile arena full of journalists. It will be a T-Mobile arena full of, you know, superstars and celebrities and fans, and it's going to be nuts. I can't wait for that. It's just today I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad it's over. Um, I will say this. So I, I thought everything played in Habib's favor. Again, not having that crowd that he has to work against and worry about, um, I think that was a good thing for him. I, I, I do. And, you know, I thought he, he, he stayed quiet. I think that's what he was always going to do. You know you can't match wits with Connor and you can't match volume with Connor. And, you know, he's going to be boisterous. He's going to get out of his seat. He's going to do all those things. And so Habib always knew he was going to play it cool. And that's, that's his personality anyway. I mean, that's what we think about. Um, so I think things went to Habib's favor. That said... I will say this because you, you know I'm sure I'm sure people are going to be writing pieces and, and 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 doing whatever else and 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 deciding who was the winner, who was the winner, who got it, who got it, who got the edge. And I'll say this: I just don't think you can win a press conference against Conor McGregor. I think you survive it, <laughs> and I think that's what Habib did. You 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 do not best Conor McGregor in a press conference. You just don't. A his fans are so, uh, you know, fervent and, and adamantly in his favor that even if you do, nobody's going to say you did. But I don't think you can one-up Connor. I think his confidence, his bravado, his his self-belief is on such another plane that you're not going to get into his head. You're not going to get him second-guessing himself. You know, because that's what you want, right? You want a guy that's that brash 
to all of a sudden think, I'm not getting in this guy's head. Habib's not falling for my for, for my shtick. What does he know that I don't know? What does he what does he got that I don't got? That's what you want. You want a guy second guessing himself and saying, Man, I've intimidated everybody and this dude won't budge. I just don't think Connor can fall prey to that. I, I I don't think it's possible for him. I think he's so mentally strong. And so because of that, I don't think it's possible to quote unquote beat him in a press conference. The best you can do is survive, and Habib survived because I don't think Connor got to Habib ever. You know, Habib started to warm up a little bit. He did start to talk a little bit at the end, but I don't think Connor got in his head. He hasn't gotten his head to this point. Now, I do believe that Connor's mental strategy is a tactic. It is. I mean, not that I'm breaking any news here, but I mean, Jose Aldo, Dustin Poirier, Eddie Alvarez, I mean, famous examples of people um, who he. He got to them mentally and forced them to, to fight differently, to do things differently, to act out of character. And that is the point, to get you to fight out of character, to change your mindset, to get you to deviate from your, your master plan. That's what you want. Connor's, Connor's incredible at that. He hasn't done it to Habib yet, but you know we still got fight week. And, and I do believe Habib is just as mentally strong, but in a different way than, than Connor is. But, I mean, gosh, think back to Madison Square Garden. Everybody saw it. Everybody saw the moment Eddie Alvarez broke. He had been so, and I don't mean broke as in wilted, but just the moment that Connor got to him. You could see it. You could see it. Eddie had done such a fantastic job all the way, and then that press conference was wild and over the top, and it got to him. Um, so, it's a draw to me. <laughs> Habib did what he needed to do to survive. Connor did what he's always going to do. And Connor got his whiskey brand out there, didn't he? Hey, man, he got his whiskey brand out there. I'm not going to lie. As I'm having a frosty beverage. I, I'm going to bet Proper 12 hasn't been shipped all the way out here to Boise, Idaho yet. But I wouldn't mind getting my hands on a bottle of it, maybe doing a little, little market research maybe next week in San Jose. Maybe see if we can pick something up in Las Vegas while we're home for for a couple weeks or for a couple days, I just say, before we head out to Bellator 206. Uh, but he did a good job there. He got the brand out, and who knows, man? Maybe that ends up being his legacy. I mean, obviously, fighting is going to be his his reputation legacy, but his financial legacy beyond the money that he's already banked, maybe it ends up being this whiskey brand. I mean, I love the the suit brand that he has, but I mean, that's that's appealing to a very specific clientele, right? I mean. Uh, the, the the David August you know co-op suits, I can guarantee you I will never own one of those in my life because I wouldn't be able to afford it. And that's not to say they won't be hugely profitable. There are rich people that buy suits, but listen, man, the whiskey brand, bro, <laughs> he says he's going after Jameson. I can tell you, myself and Cold Coffee have had a lot of Jameson in a lot of different places all over the world. And if you're talking about distributing cases and cases around the world, if he's really going to go after Jameson that way, of course, man, he's got the brand power. And then think about that. It's not even like he has to pay some celebrity millions of dollars to endorse this product. He just endorses it himself. Uh, man, I mean, so well done. Maybe and, and again, maybe this ends up being a cornerstone of his financial legacy down, down the road. Um, I... The last thing, I guess, you know, as they closed, the face-off was good. You know, it's funny, the audio was running on the stream, which is always unique because when you're there live, you can't hear that. I mean, you're trying to read lips, but it's so loud in there you can't hear it. But to hear it on the stream, 
And Dana's voice, you know, basically saying, please don't touch each other. And it was, I mean, you could hear it. It wasn't one of those demands, like, don't touch each other. It was literally an earnest, like, holy Christ, please don't trust, uh, touch each other. <laughs> please don't make this day worse. Uh, but we got the images. You know, that video is going to be played. It's already splashed all over MMA Junkie, everything else. So, I mean, it's 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 a big deal. So that was good. Uh, but I will say that, that man, uh, Ali Abdelaziz, I think that I don't want to say a mistake there because I get it, man. Ali Abdelaziz, no secret here. Uh, uh, you know, a guy that's that that loves his clients, um, that has made it clear that Habib is like a brother to him. And of course, from the sidelines, he wanted to get involved and and and, and say, hey, listen, man, you're not going to intimidate my guy. You're not going after my guy. But again, I think you could hear it in the tone of Dana White's voice when he was just like, Ali, no, please don't. Come on, man. You know, like. I mean, this whole thing was all about taking protective measures, protective measures, protective measures. I mean, this is a, uh, you know, just a, a, a bonfire waiting to explode, and we made it all the way to the end, and God damn it, please, you know, don't throw another variable into the equation right now. Uh, so I understand Ali. Uh, listen, he is a, as passionate as they come, and he will defend his people until the end. And uh, that's that's one characteristic you never have to worry about with him is loyalty and and uh, passion for for his clients and and again people you know people like Habib who he says is a brother, um, but uh, you know I think Ali um, probably didn't need to get himself involved there. We'll see if that plays out more uh, on fight week uh, because you know if, if he's usually right there beside Habib, so you know we'll see if if there's any uh, further. In- incidents there along the way so whoo man i didn't love the press conference i'm not gonna lie i didn't love it but i love that fight and i cannot wait for it to happen uh we got we got some mma between now and then uh but but that is going to be one hell of an event and as if that all wasn't enough (laughs) <laughs> what a crazy week this is. And it's not even a crazy week because we got two two major MMA events between Bellator and UFC. Well, maybe not necessarily major events, but two events from the major promotions, uh, UFC and Bellator, both hosting events this week. But John Jones as well. We got the news on John Jones. He is cleared to return in October. A 15-month suspension was the ultimate finding by USADA. And, man, crazy. It has been such a long, arduous journey to get here. And now we finally get the answer. And uh, just in time, it seems like, for UFC 230. Although, since then, it has all been clarified that, no, he will not be competing at UFC 230. Um, Dana White uh, told me that via text. He actually uh, answered the same question today at the press conference uh, for Habib versus Connor. He said, listen, no, it's not going to happen. So I, I believe it's not going to happen. Uh, we saw Daniel Cormier's uh, position on the matter. You know, he looks like he's not really all that thrilled about uh, about fighting him ever, uh, much less by then. And I don't think he could uh, – I don't, I don't think he can make it back uh, to 205 in that short amount of time. I and mean, that's, that's just around the corner. Um, the other fight that makes sense is Alexander Gustafson. Uh, Gustafson is actually – um, you know, gone to social media as well and said, hey, let's get this thing done. Um, you know, we had talked about it plenty of times here before on the road show. I'd heard that's the fight that they were looking for more 
than the fight with Cormier, but uh, that's definitely not going to happen for Madison Square Garden. Maybe it happens in Toronto, the place where they 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 did it the first time. I mean, that's it's a hell of a it's a hell of a fight. I mean, it's it's you know even if you don't make Cormier give up the title, which you could very easily. I mean, Cormier is saying, listen, I don't want to fight John Jones again. Um, you know, the UFC could come to him and say, then cool, then you got to give up this title. And I don't think that would be a big deal for – I mean, I think it would be a big deal to Cormier, but it wouldn't interrupt anything about his plans. I mean, he's still the heavyweight champ of the world as well. He's still going to fight Brock Lesnar. I mean, listen, we've said all along, it, it, it just didn't seem to make sense. You know, I know he said he wanted to fight twice, but he probably wasn't going to. So, you know, it could be by the time they make Jones versus Gustin, which is the fight I expect him to make, it could be for uh, the light heavyweight title. But it doesn't have to be. I mean, still get five rounds, right? And, and tell me who's not going to want to tune into that fight. I know that the UFC does their best to put gold belts on posters to help sell it. But I don't think they have to, to be honest with you. I think that's a fight um, that, that everybody will be into. And I think people want to see it. And, man, that, you know, you bring back that highlight reel. And, you know, listen, people are going to watch that fight. It's an incredible fight. Um, so I think that's a fight that's going to happen. I think it's going to happen later. Listen, maybe they'll pull some audible and, and do it on Madison Square Garden and, and just say, hey, sorry we lied to you or, you know, sorry, change your plans. But it, it, it as it sounds right now, it doesn't seem like that's the case. Now, the biggest thing, USADA. Uh, it does seem incredibly crazy on the surface. I get it. It does. It seems incredibly convenient. Had he fought at USC 230, my God, uh, the tinfoil hats. And, hell, I won't even say tinfoil hats, man. Um. It would look bad. I'm not going to lie. I, I, it would look bad if he returned. Like, conveniently, we have no main event for this card at Madison Square Garden in John Jones' home state. And, ah, what do you know? We get this thing done. Um, I, I know that would look awful. And I don't know if that factored into the USC's decision to not do it. it. If it was, I'll give them this. That's a smart play because, you know, it would be much easier to just cash in and be like, to hell what people think. Um, but I think people would think very badly about that. And I'll definitely try to ask some questions around over the next couple of weeks um, on on what people think about that and if that played in at all. But I haven't heard that as of yet. Um, I will say, if you're interested in reading it, you can find the entire uh, finding, the entire report on USADA's website. Uh, they've got kind of a, a brief summary of it. And uh, then you can click and you can see the, the full legal finding. I think it's like 37 pages or something like that. It's um, you know, it's, it's legalese. It's not the most exciting uh, reading ever, but if you if you want to be incredibly well informed, if it does interest you, I mean, the whole thing is there uh, to be read. Um, I just, I know that a lot of people think it's crooked. I I don't think that it is. I really don't. And 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 again, this is coming from the guy that thought for sure it'd be a two year suspension. Um, even with John Jones saying that, hey, I don't. You know, I didn't cheat on purpose, and I believe that, and I have always said that as well. I don't think John Jones cheats knowingly. I don't. Just knowing the type of natural athleticism that he has and the type of skill that he has. I mean, you know, you, you take Brian Stan. I mean, Brian Stan has talked about it before pretty openly about training alongside John and, and, and wondering, like, why the hell you're even – practicing the same sport as this guy because it's so defeating for him to come in <laughs> you know half drunk hungover etc from the night before and just you know 
dominate people. So I, I never understood why he would need to cheat. I, I just didn't. It never – I know the eyeball test is the worst test, and I hate when people say he doesn't pass the eyeball test. But, I mean, I get it. There are visual indicators. And to me, I just never thought John Jones – Struck me as one of those guys where you go, oh, come on, man. That ain't natural. Um, and, you know, he does have the, all those negative tests that happen around it. Uh, so I never thought he was a cheater. I just thought he was going to get stuck with two years because this is the second time. Um, but it sounds like, you know, they, they, they his team worked along with USADA and worked along with, uh, you know, the mediator and, and – and they work things in the direction. And I think I, I really don't have a problem with the decision, to be honest with you. I, I don't. I do think that this is the last time John has to oh, – I almost said keep his nose clean. John has to pay attention moving forward. He really does. You know, one one thing that I just – I mean, again, you can read the whole thing. And I think it's worth reading if you're into this stuff, you know, reading the whole finding. But there was one part, you know, that – the finding was specifically there was more that he could have done, but he did not do. The athlete could have taken the step of only using third-party certified dietary supplements, which may have further reduced his risk of testing positive from a contaminated supplement. He has taken some measures, and they outline them. You know, he did have um, you know a nutritionist recommending things and doing all that, but you got to take those third-party certified supplements. Then, if something happens, I mean, you you've shown I'm doing everything I possibly can. I think what it boils down to, and I think the, the working theory b- between a lot of people is the one that Joe Rogan floated out there. Um, and, and, of course, that wasn't just Joe Rogan, <laughs> you know, guessing on his own. But, uh, you know, a lot of people said, I, I think John was doing coke, and the coke was probably cut with something, you know, like a creatine or something like that. And, and that's what ended up backfiring and costing them. And you, and you can't. It's not like you can go to your dealer and, uh, hey, remember that? Uh, do you have the lot number of that product I picked up last Thursday? I need, I need more of that. Um, you can't do it. And so, you know, they said that John Jones was open and honest. His team was helpful. And that's why they ultimately came to this conclusion and knocked it down to 15 months. I think I'm okay with that. I, I really do. I think I'm okay with that. But I do want to make sure that John Jones doesn't do I mean, a third time? A third time? Now, the first time it was from something he took over the counter. You know, okay, okay, my bad. I can't buy that stuff over the counter anymore. It gets contaminated. It get, uh, okay, okay, okay. Now, this time, the working theory is it came from Coke. And it came from Coke that he did around the fight. And, and props to him and his team. It says that he went to rehab. The finding says that he went to rehab. And, and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to John soon. And ask how that is, um, and and uh, you know how he's dealing with that. I'll, I'll I'll lay it out there, man. I I had an issue with that at one time in my life. Um, so uh, in in some levels, uh, I can relate. Coke is not um, an easy thing to put away for some people, but you're a professional athlete with millions of dollars on the line, and because you have a problem, doesn't excuse you from following the rules period you know um it's not an excuse you know why i have an addiction well i mean (laughs) i'm probably the last person to be sitting here talking about you know having an addiction or whatever but 
it doesn't excuse you from following the rules. It doesn't excuse you from being a part of this testing. And so, okay, you've got the over-the-counter issue, and you realize you can't ever do that again. Now you've got to realize these explicit drugs, not only are they probably bad for you, but they may have a, a serious significant impact on your career moving forward. You've got to wipe that out. As hard and as difficult as it may be, you've got to wipe that out. So I hope we see the best for John Jones moving forward. Um, I do like the idea of him and Cormier fighting one more time at heavyweight. I do like that. I, I think it would be amazing. Um, not at light heavyweight, but le- you know, give it a fresh start, so to speak, with Cormier in his natural weight class. That said, if Daniel Cormier doesn't want to face John Jones anymore, he, he doesn't have to. He, he certainly doesn't have to. If he wants to fight Brock Lesnar and call it a day, I think that's okay, and I would not question the character of Daniel Cormier. We know Daniel Cormier is not scared of John Jones, but if he says, listen, I know I can make millions on this fight, but I don't want him to make those millions because I don't think he deserves it because I think he's a poor character. And, you know, I've I've been everything, I've, I've been a part of USADA for how long and I've passed how many tests? Accidents, you know, accidents don't happen if you're not doing anything that allows you to be open to these, these accidents. I get it. Daniel Cormier is right. And if he doesn't want, if he wants to walk off into the sunset and not face John Jones, I will never question one thing about his character, or his decision making. But if he wants to do it, he wants to make those millions for his family. Sure as hell, wouldn't have a problem with it. That's for sure. Um, especially at heavyweight, that would be a huge fight. <laughs> All right, but you saw it. That's the part I want to talk about too. I want to see good things for John Jones moving forward, and I hope that he will. Stay away from those street drugs. Stay away from the possibility of, of things that can get him in trouble. Uh, I hope that happens. Um, USADA, I just, this whole process, I get it. I, I do not believe they're crooked. I do believe they have got to do some things to open up about how they handle these situations. And, again, we've got to have this sit down with Jeff Davitsky. We had been trying to have it, and, and schedules didn't work out. i I, I got to work on rescheduling it. But where we can just talk about these things, especially now, I think a lot of it had to do because they knew that the John Jones case was a huge one, and they didn't necessarily want to get straight into that, um, even kind of answering questions around it, as you know we would. But now that it's done, you know, maybe we can talk about these things a little more openly. But I know that USADA wants to do the right thing, and they want to have everything resolved so that when everything is done, they can come out with the findings, they can come out with the reports, they can come out with everything, and they say, here you go, people, this is what we see, this is what we decided, and all the work is right here. And I think that's cool. You know, you're not um, tainting the court of public opinion along the way, you're not potentially leaking out things here and there, um, which is is a real possibility. I mean, we've seen it happen with athletic commissions before, and where, where, where information gets leaked out, and uh, next thing you know, it's, it's kind of influencing what people think about a case before that case is actually heard, before that case is actually settled. So I understand where USADA is approaching, but just some kind of updates along the way. When it took, you know, 14 months for us to figure out about a 15-month suspension, and along the way the answer is just, eh, eh, can't, sorry, we can't update you. Well, when does it come? Well, we expect an answer soon. That, to me, is a problem. That, to me, is is, is an issue that needs to be addressed. And And... I, I understand transparency. I get it. That, that, that's that's what they want. Well, then be transparent along the way. I understand you'd have to be limited in what you can say, but the fact that you can't say anything along the way, I don't think that's good. I, I, I think that's problematic, to be honest with you. And I think 
something needs to be able to, to, to be said. Um, and that's my recommendation. I just, there, there has to, if you want true transparency, then you got to have transparency along the way as well. And that's what I think. Last thing about the situation, you know, everybody's jumped to the conclusion that John Jones flipped, so to speak, that he became uh, an informant. Um, and that's why, and it's mentioned in there, the, you know, the special assistance is, is one of the reasons they knocked down three months. Went from 18 months to, to 15 months. Um, I, listen, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't buy it. I don't. I don't buy it. I was kind of joking with the with our, with our own team here today, but you you just can't convince me that John Jones, you know, threw something out there like, oh, uh, uh, Carlos Condit. I've seen that guy shoot up, and, and and not obviously. Again, probably shouldn't have even said a real name there because I'm not accusing Carlos Condit, but you know, I just don't believe that's what happened. That John Jones started pointing fingers around people at Jackson's, and they're like, oh, thanks for getting that done. Uh, now we've reduced you by three months. But I don't know how much he's willing to talk about that. And again, the first time we get a chance to talk to John Jones, we'll ask and we'll see. I guess in lieu of, of him ever commenting on it or ever opening up about what was said and what he did, you'll just have to pay attention. I mean, do you see guys from Jackson's getting busted? Do 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 you see that? You know, And if it does, then yeah, maybe John did flip. But until I see that, I don't buy it. I, I, just, I just don't buy it. Um, you know, did John maybe, uh, help authority? I mean, he did talk about this, this cocaine issue and did he help something along those ways? They said he was, you know, especially helpful in trying to find the truth here. You know, he was the one that, that, that brought everything to be tested and all that, you know, maybe, you know, th- there's a lot of questions and nobody's talking about it yet, but I just don't believe it's as simple. I know that's what everybody's saying and, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong again. Hey, I'm kind of naive sometimes. I see the I see the positive side of things a lot, and, and maybe um, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't um, I just don't don't believe that's what happened here. So, either way, John Jones is back. My guess it's Jones versus Gustafson. I have no idea what the date would be. Um, I do believe from everything that I've heard, it is not uh, going to be Madison Square Garden. This is not the UFC trying to take us for a ride, but. We shall see. All right, let's let's uh, let's do this since we're kind of producing on the fly here and live. Cole Coffee just finished up with the uh, reporter scrum out there in New York. He's got Dana White reacting to uh, everything that happened today. So, hey, what better time to, to play it than right now? Shit, 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 shit started. I didn't do anything. I was uh-huh. just asking questions. Huh? I was just asking questions. Yeah, some fucked up questions. <laughs> What's up, boys? Channeling his inner area. Huh? He was channeling his inner aerial. Team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dana, um, <laughs> I don't even think aerial's that bad. <laughs> Immediate reaction to, to the press conference. Uh, it, it was dark, man. It was the darkest press conference I've ever been a part of. But, uh, you know, Conor McGregor is the master of mental warfare. I said it before, and I'll say it again, man. I think he's better than anybody, even Ali. You know, you don't ever want to say anybody's better than Ali, but I, I think when it comes to the mental war game uh, in this sport, uh, or any other sport, Conor McGregor is is the best ever. Some of the things that he that he had come up with today, did you even know what he was talking about with some some of these things, like Putin and, and all this stuff? Here's the thing about McGregor too. He's so good at it. He studies. He studies every little thing. He talks to people. He finds out 
stories inside of a guy's camp. Look at look at the whole thing that he did on the Ultimate Fighter with Uriah Faber, with TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt and all those guys. You know, at one point he had Card- Cody Garbrandt jumping up trying to fight him. You know, he is the master. He is the best ever to do it. Nobody does it better than Connor does. In hindsight, the right move to keep it away from the public to keep this a private event. Yeah. I, I, I questioned it a couple times going in because I love having the fans be a part of everything that we do, but I absolutely made the right decision on this one. I felt it halfway through the press conference, and I, I'm definitely feeling it now. How do you think it would have been different if there were fans here? I think there would have been a lot more energy, and I think that there would have been a lot of Khabib supporters and a lot of Connor supporters, and uh, I don't know. I, I just I just don't think it would have been a positive thing. I think it was much better this way. There will be, I guess, a press conference in Vegas with fans involved. Is there any extra security planned and that kind of thing? We had extra security here. We'll have security there. And, yeah, we'll have security at the fight. You know, uh, at the end of the day, one of the things that we always – obviously the fights are always great, man. I can count on one hand how many fights have sucked in the history of the UFC um, since since we've been here. And uh, we always try to put on the best show possible for the fans – and uh, that's what we're going to do in Vegas, too. So it'll, it'll, it will be good. What did it take to get Connor back? He, he said he had said he wanted an ownership stake, but he admitted today that he didn't get that. So what did it take to get him back to get him back in the UFC? Yeah, I mean, listen, Connor is the type of guy. You know, Connor knows exactly what he's worth, what 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 uh, he expects to get, and at the end of the day, he's worth it. Connor McGregor. This this thing we were just looking at the streams for this. It beat Maymac. This press conference beat Maymac, uh, the the highest rated Maymac that we did on the tour. Um, you know, the, the kid's brilliant, and not only can he talk, is he funny, and and all the other things that he is, shows up and he fights, and he will fight anybody anywhere anytime. So he's worth it. It was not hard to get a deal done with Conor McGregor because we also know what he's worth. And the the whiskey is part of that of that package with with him. That's going to be on the canvas proper twelve. Correct. Will this be the highest anyone's ever made in the UFC as far as far as fighters goes in, the, in this fight? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Because I think it's going to be the biggest pay per view we've ever done. Um, you know, this morning I was doing the rounds this morning on uh, you know on different networks, and uh, we were trying to get 2.5 million pay per view buys, which is if you look it up and you you know the history of pay per view, it's one of the biggest ever. So not just in UFC but everywhere. You know, you're up there with, like, De La Hoya Mayweather. You're up there with, uh, you know, Tyson versus Lennox Lewis, fights like that. So that's where that thing was trending this morning. I don't know what these numbers mean today, uh, but it definitely doesn't suck, you know. When you say trending, is that already pre-sales or is that just people making requests? So they're they're based off pre-sales on all the different platforms, including ours. You said that John Jones is not headlining UFC 230 here at Madison Square Garden. Who is headlining UFC 230? We'll announce it soon. We're working on the deal now. Tickets are on sale this week, right? So I guess it yes. would have to be sometime. In- exactly. we got to get shit done. Hey, Dana, when there's that much tension and you're managing it and kind of keeping I know when he grabbed the whiskey and he was trying to offer it, I saw you kind of making sure he wasn't going to drop in his face or That's something exactly like that. exactly what I thought he was going to do. Yeah. When you're doing that and then you get them in the square off and then somebody like Ali Abdelaziz is in the back and he starts talking, how, how disruptive is that sort it's of bad. thing? It's bad, and that's one of the things that I tried to avoid at this press conference. It, 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 you know, It's bad enough when the two fighters are going at it, but then when the camps start to get involved, that's when, that's when shit goes south, and, and that's what we were trying to avoid here. Um, 
with everybody. And does that make give you a little more pause for like as you go into fight week, like just con contemplating that sort of thing? We we I, we were very smart in the way we handled this today, and we will be even smarter at the next one and and at the fight. Due to the passion of the the crowds that are going to be for these two fighters, are you guys doing anything different or beefing up security for this particular yeah, yeah. event? Yeah, there's going to be security, and uh, you know we're, we're we're ready for this. We're, we're ready for this. We made this fight. This fight's going to go off. There's a lot of bad blood, uh, and I'm sure there's even more now. And uh, this will be handled literally perfectly for the fight, for the fans, for everybody. Everybody wants to see a fight, man. So we will, we will make this thing work. You had a few NYPD officers on stage during this. Was that their idea or your idea? Yeah, well, obviously New York is concerned after what went down here last time. I think the commission here is concerned after what happened last time, and, and frankly, we're concerned. So... Listen, it isn't a bad thing to have a little... I ain't as fucking young as I used to be, so it isn't too bad having some backup. <clears throat> All the things that, that Connor said today, do you think Habib is affected by any of that? Yes. You're not human if that doesn't affect you. It's impossible not to infect you. Uh, and, and, and Connor knows that. Connor, you know, Connor came in and did what Connor does. That's why I say it. He's the best ever. There's never been any better, anybody better at the mental warfare game than Conor McGregor. He's the absolute best of all time. Do you, guys, do you guys ever talk to fighters after the fact about maybe what they bring up up there? Do you ever try to reel them in or just let them this go for it? This is the fight it? business, man. This is not the nice business. It's the fight business. And mean things are going to be said. Uh, things that are probably out of bounds are going to be said. Um, but the beauty of fighting is on October 6th, they will step into the octagon and everything will be settled. So... Yeah. Daniel, there was an incident on the plane yesterday for Conor McGregor. Can do you know exactly what happened, or can you talk about exactly what happened on the plane? I have no idea. There's something with uh, security and I don't know no. anything about it, but yeah, I know New York was a little nervous about Conor being here. So the state of New York and the commission and everybody was was concerned because obviously, I mean, if you look at the press conference today, these guys hate each other, and this is uh, this is serious to both of them. What do you think about Mayweather Pacquiao too, too coming up possibly? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, I think they'll both make a lot of money. You know, I don't think it'll do what it did the first time, but I think it will. I think it will be uh, very profitable for both of them. I think it'll do uh, better than Conor Habib. I don't know. The, th the difference is here, here's the difference in, in a fight like this, and no disrespect to either one of those guys, because obviously, you know, if you look at what Floyd's done in his career, and I was a big Pacquiao fan, you know, his whole career. Um, but what fight fans really want and what fight fans love are two animals who are in their prime, you know, and fighting for the belt or dislike or whatever it might be like this situation with these two. The reason this fight is so big, because this is a real fight, this is a legit fight with two of the best and the uh, absolute best in the world, undefeated, you know, Habib and Conor McGregor, who's incredible. At the end of the day, that's what sells and that's what fans want to see. With uh, John Jones coming back and Daniel Cormier saying he wants to defend his title again before at light heavyweight before he fights Brock, is what does that mean? Is is there any chance those two coincide? Or uh, yeah, we'll, or? we'll see how this thing plays out. First of all, Cormier's hand is still messed up from 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 the fight with Stipe, so um, you know we'll see how this whole thing plays out. I, I have literally no answers about any of that yet. What do you think the and this are? thing just happened yesterday with Jones. Right. Who saw that coming? He's not in shape. Yeah. He's got to get in shape and train. 
there's turmoil going on right now in his camp. You know, there's there's a battle between Cerrone and the, the camp split in half. Half of his guys are over with Cerrone. The other half are over there with the other guys. And I don't know. What are the odds you think that uh, Cormier will be able to defend his light heavyweight <clears throat> title before he fights Brock? And then, as he says, he's going to retire in March next year. So. Say that again? Do you think Daniel Cormier will be able to defend his light heavyweight title and fight Brock Lesnar before he retires it when he says he's going to retire Who said that, in March? Cormier? Cormier. He hasn't said that to me. Well, he said he was going to retire by his 40th birthday, which is March. Got so. it. Everybody says that. <laughs> That's what they all say. Yeah. This, Retiring isn't as easy as it sounds. Yeah, have you spoke to John Jones? Have you talked to him since this? Just in text. Yeah. Not not since the this thing. Not since this happened okay. yesterday. I've been. You seem like you home had, like five days this month. So I've, I've <laughs> really been. You seem like you had reservations, obviously, about putting him in a big spot, and then we did UFC 214, and the whole thing goes down, and here we are again. Do you have more of a trust, I guess, with him through this process somehow coming out of the back end of this? Do you feel like you could trust him again? In a big spot like I, I that. I don't know. I mean, t- talking about trusting him is, is whatever. This is his life. This is his life. He's had a, a, obviously a lot of opportunities, and he's getting another one. Let's see what he does with it. This past weekend, Golden Boy had a presser with Liddell and Ortiz three. I don't know if you saw that they actually said some decent things about what the UFC had done, but then they also said about how they wanted to change the pay scale. I didn't know if you saw the presser or had thoughts or maybe are sad about the fact that the fight's even happening in the first place. Of course I am. Uh, You know, I don't think it's any secret how I feel about Chuck Liddell personally um, and professionally. And, uh, you know, listen, I don't want to shit on his... You know, his deal that he's going on, and I hope he makes a lot of money. I hope the event is very successful for them, and, uh, you know, but uh, I I wish it wasn't happening. I don't think that Chuck Liddell should be fighting, and uh, that's why I begged him to retire 10 years ago. So, um, you know, I I hope it's very lucrative for him, and, 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 uh, you know, he does well. Is there a time frame for uh, Woodley Covington? Is that the fight? Uh, well, yeah, that, 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 that's the next fight that needs to happen. So, obviously, Woodley just fought. You know, Colby couldn't fight because he was hurt. So, we'll see how that thing plays out, too. That couldn't end up at MSG, could it? It could. I highly doubt it, though. I highly doubt it. When does uh, Logan Paul make his big UFC oh, debut? <laughs> that that guy would get murdered here. He would get hurt badly. Hurt badly. Yeah. If, if I ever let him fight in the UFC, I should be arrested. Okay? And everybody's going to go, you let CM Punk fight in the UFC. <clears throat> but, hey, no hate for the kid. Good for him, man. Look, I mean, look at, look at the business that guy has built on YouTube and, and the, uh, the number of pay-per-views they did on YouTube. You know, they did 800000 to 10 bucks for two guys that, uh, you know, Fight fans have never heard of, I guess you would say. So he's built a great business for himself. Good for him, and uh, it's awesome. But trust me, don't don't play around over here. You will you will get hurt. Logan Paul versus CM Punk. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, I you know, every everybody always talks about CM Punk. CM Punk is one of the greatest guys you could ever meet. He's a super good guy. He was very passionate about the sport. And he put his reputation and everything on the line to come fight here. I respect him for it. And, uh, you know, obviously it didn't work out for him. But uh, he, he's got a lot, of, uh, a lot of heart and a lot of balls to do that.
right there you have a USC president Dana White weighing in on everything. Habib Connor. Everything John Jones. Everything Logan Paul. <laughs> Lots of stuff there to talk about. Oh man. How great is the end of this year gonna be, huh? <laughs> oh man, this week has just been a fantastic tipping off point for the rest of this year. There's no question about it. So what a crazy week it is. All right, listen, uh real quick, let's do talk about a little bit about Bella Oh Jesus Christ. Let's talk about a little Bellator two oh five. I was trying to say Bellator and Boise at the same time. Uh, listen, I'm still a fan of Boise. I really am. It's a good place. Again, haven't been here in the wintertime yet, but the two times I've been out here for MMA events, solid, solid place. And apparently I'm not alone. I'm told it's one of the fastest-growing cities uh, in the United States, which makes sense. Housing prices have been raising 10% a year for the last two or three years. So uh, the secret is out, folks. If you want to come to Boise, now's the time to do it. Of course, I am here for Bellator 205 McKee. Versus Makapa, that is John Makapa Tashera. Of course, this was originally supposed to be Pat Curran versus AJ McKee. AJ McKee, uh, you know, this was going to be his big test, and it's still a big test. John Tashera is still a veteran fighter. I don't think it has quite the cachet that beating a former champ in, in Pat Curran would. Um, but listen, AJ McKee, I've, I've been I've been a fan of AJ for a long time, and that body shop squad out there. Of course, Aaron Pico moved out there recently. The son of uh, Antonio McKee. They're doing some big things out there. And I think AJ is somebody you definitely need to keep an eye on. So if you're hanging around on Friday night, tonight, uh, make sure you tune in. At least, you know, definitely catch the main event. AJ McKee, 11 and 0 on his career, 11 and 0 under the Bellator banner. So, you know, I feel like this is one of those guys. They've been investing Bellator has so long in stocking up prospects. And now, you know, it takes time to develop. It takes time to let these people build their records and 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 develop as fighters. And of course, you know, uh, MVP Michael Venom Page probably one of the most famous uh, examples of that. Uh, you know, that kind of slow build. But I feel like AJ McKee, you know, has had some fights that just didn't happen along the way here and there. He's never ducked a fight. He's never asked for special handling. And again, he didn't hear either. He was supposed to fight Pat Curran, a well-respected former champion. Didn't get that opportunity. But A.J. McKee, certainly somebody you definitely need to keep an eye on. I think this is a, a big test for him and a good opportunity for him. Not quite necessarily the one he wanted. But, um, you know, A.J. Belize, uh, look, there are great things on the horizon. And he's, he said, listen, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try to address the doubters anymore. I'm not going to try to address the haters. I sound like a broken record. All I can do is go out there and win every time. You know, I, I have this undefeated record, and I like it, and I, and I want to keep it. And every time I go out there, it feels like a big fight to me because I want to keep this perfect record. So uh, that's the story in the main event. The co-main event could potentially be uh, some middleweight title action there. Uh, one of these guys could potentially get a – now, listen – Bellator middleweight division is starting to fill out a little bit. But uh, Rafael Lovato Jr. and John Salter, two of the best grapplers in the weight class. Um, I, I got to say, I'm high on Rafael Lovato Jr., man. If you haven't seen him fight, uh, dude's grappling is on another planet. Big, strong dude. Uh, you know, well-rounded fighter as well. Started out, uh, he said, as a kid in Jeet Kune Do, which I, I didn't realize that. Um, so started out, you know, kind of as a, a striking stylist, so to speak, and then fell in love with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, became a world champion at that. Meanwhile, John Salter, um, you know, had a, had a little cup of coffee in the UFC, and now he's turning things around. He's on the best run of his career, uh, and, and he says, listen, I, I think this is going to be a fun fight. I want to go to the ground. I want to test myself. So this could be a very, very high-level grappling match. I'm, I'm excited to see that. Veda Artiega, or excuse me, Veda Ortega, 
uh, Denise Kielholz, uh, Vera is from here in uh, in Boise. In fact, her first professional fight was in the same building we'll be fighting in uh, on Friday night, CenturyLink Arena. She fought some amateur fights here as well, but uh, Denise Kielholz, the uh, reigning flyweight women's Bellator kickboxing world champion, uh, is turning her attention to MMA now. It, she actually is a judo black belt as well, so she started in grappling arts as well. Um, I, I like Kielholtz a lot. Her her uh, her striking is uh, fantastic, and her confidence is uh, is is something to behold as well. Patricky Ferry and Roger Huerta round out the main card. Patricky Pitbull wants another shot at the title. Meanwhile, Roger Huerta, um, it was good to see him, man. He's in good spirits. You know, Roger Huerta. It's been a couple of years since I crossed paths with him, and obviously a good dude. Um, you know, somebody that's been in the sport for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, kind of admitted when we talked earlier this week, you know, that, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I probably came in, uh, you know, he fought Benson Henderson earlier this year under the Bellator banner and said, you know what, I, I probably came in kind of looking for a paycheck. Um, but uh, now I've got that fire. I, I really do. And I want to be a world champion. And so I've um, always been a fan of Roger Huerta. So I'm, I'm anxious to see that. But Patricky Ferry. Uh, Patricky Pitbull, no, no push over there. So I think some interesting storylines in the main card, even though they don't necessarily uh, jump out to you right away. I think, uh, you know, stylistically, uh, Lovato and Salter could be uh, fantastic. Stylistically, Artega Kielholz could be fantastic, but on the complete opposite uh, way. And then I think some real stakes in both the main event and the, the card opening fight. Um, the prelims I'm not paying out to, of course, Johnny Nunez is here. I was interested to see they didn't really do much with him in terms of media, uh, but Johnny Nunez is here, of course, um, he actually, you know, we talked to him when we were here for the UFC event. You know, he, he was a wrestler here at Boise State, um, and and we spoke to him, and he did a little nice little video piece there as well uh, with his partner Misha Tate. Um, Misha is here to corner him as well, so um, that that'll be one to keep an eye on. But the the two the two guys that I'm really interested in, in watching Adam Borks and uh, Steve Mowry. Now Adam Borks from Hungary. I think he says his name more like Adam Borish. Um, but most people here just say it Borix. Um, but if you look at him, uh, he, he looks like he could be something as well. Uh, 11-0 in his career as well. Uh, training down at Hard Knocks 365 now uh, with Henry Hooft. Uh, Steve Mowry is training under the same camp as well. Uh, and, man, I guess if you're, if you're going to mention uh, Henry Hooft, if you're going to mention Hard Knocks, <sighs> yeah, you got to talk about the passing today of Glenn Robinson, or at least the, the breaking news of, of Glenn Robinson's passing. So kind of a, a somber note there. Those those guys I had really identified before as, as people I wanted to pay attention to. Um, but, but um, yeah, even for more so now. Shame, man. You spend a lot of time in this business and, and people pass. You know, I wasn't close to Glenn Robinson uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, he was definitely a passionate dude, man. And, uh, Went to bat for his guys, man. He would defend them to the end of the earth. Those were his family. You know, if you if you were coming at his team or coming at his guys, he was coming at you because uh, he, he really was just a, an enthusiastic guy and, and, and had a lot of passion for the sport and a lot of passion um, as, as the founder of the Black Zillions. And, of course, he had kind of moved on from the MMA business in recent years, but uh, he passed this week. So uh, certainly sad to, to hear that. But um, – We'll definitely be keeping an eye on those two guys who uh, uh, carry on the, the Henry Hooft legacy. I think those are two people you want to pay attention to on the prelims as well. By the way, should mention, um, he, hey, 
we got you all over the world, man. We got cold coffee in New York. We got me in Boise. And, of course, Fernando Prates is down in Brazil as well. So uh, if you're looking for some on-site coverage of USC Fight Night 37, or 137, I say, she's, she's been uh, handling that all week as well. Tiago Mejeta Santos versus Eric Anders in the main event. Um, I guess it came out. We didn't really talk. I know when we were in Dallas, we talked about, you know, Eric Anders when we were broadcasting uh, from Fortis MMA. Uh, Eric Anders was the one that kind of came in. And, uh, and was working out and, and putting in a, a hell of an effort. We actually ended up having dinner with him uh, later that weekend and, uh, and, and, and talking with him. And uh, I will say this. I mean, that was just a couple of weeks ago. He was staying in shape. He was working hard. He wasn't drinking. He wasn't doing that sort of stuff. He was um, in town to kind of hang out. But he was definitely staying busy, uh, you know, keeping it uh, on the business tip. So, uh, good for him to get that opportunity. But, of course, Tiago Mahetta Santos, a big scary dude as well. Um, so that's going to be a good uh, fight card there on a Saturday night as well. I'll definitely be paying attention to that. I think I'll be helping cover that a little bit. I'm going to fly home on Saturday morning and uh, try to help cover that on TV. But, of course, we got Fernando Prachis, um there in Brazil. So we've got some on-site coverage. So, uh, listen, crazy busy time. Let's do this. Uh, he's going to kill me because he doesn't know he's going to have to do this since I'm recording ahead of time. <laughs> Let's just, uh, to wrap things up, it may be quick. It may be five seconds, but let's hear how cold coffee is feeling because, uh, look, he's got to edit this thing together. He's got to throw it all together anyway. So let's just uh, throw it out to cold coffee, hear what he has to say. And for me and Boise, I'll just say thanks for listening. All right, John. Well, thank you for tossing me. I'll tell you what I think. I think I'm fucking tired. I started this journey today at 1 o'clock in Vegas. And then uh, I think I got about an hour of sleep on the plane and then literally got into a car. Took about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes to get through traffic to get to the Radio City Music Hall, which, by the way, is a beautiful venue. But uh, right outside of Rockefeller Center, I was able to meet up with one Oscar Willis of the famed, notorious Mac Life, who joins me here today uh, to talk a little bit about the event. And... Uh, Oscar, thoughts? You know, what was uh, what was your feeling of, of going into this event today? I know we didn't have the, uh, the 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 big crowd that you normally would see at a press conference, but what what were your thoughts on just the event today? Well, I think going into this, because Connor had been away for a couple of years from mixed martial arts, certainly, we didn't really know what to expect, especially without the crowd there. You know, when the crowd's involved, you can sort of predict, like, reactions to the cheers, reactions to the boos and stuff. The fact there was no crowd meant it was almost uncertain what was going to happen. Um, so I didn't know how it was going to play out. When Connor came on, he came on with a lot of energy, immediately addressed the fact there was no crowd, was clearly quite pissed off about it, um, which got an interesting reaction from the, the few, or, few audience members that were there. And I think despite the fact there was no uh, audience in attendance, no crowd in attendance, Connor's energy is undeniable. Like he, he, you know, he was essentially playing to a room of 20 people and... I don't know about you, but it certainly felt for me like he was playing to an audience of 100 or 200. Um, and that's just from his energy alone. You know, if he was understated, it could have been a much less exciting affair. But I'm not sure. What do you think? And that's true. I mean, I think he certainly has a way now when he walks in the room. 
I think in his mind, he always speaks and kind of carries this air like he's speaking to a much larger audience than what is there. You know, he was he certainly went big today. There was no there was no little from Connor today. Um, but let's go back. Well, first, let's set the scene. Where where are we at here in, in New York City? Where are we, where are we at again? I forget the name of the hotel. We are in the charming Paramount Hotel, 19 stories of glory in in, in the middle of uh, Times Square, New York City, um, which is the city that never sleeps, even though I would very much like to. Um, so we're just chilling out here. We've obviously come from the um, Radio Hall Music, and like you mentioned, it's a beautiful venue. Um, so we're just chilling in Times Square, having, you know, cold cold beverage, as I believe you guys say. A couple frosty, frosty beverages. Frosty beverages tonight. Uh, we're doing the, the Heineken. Uh, Beggars can't be choosers. Uh, Oscar was able to run it to the uh, pizza joint next door and get us coffee as well as beer because it's at that point of the night where um, we're beat. Let's just face it, like these these things are grinds, man. You were lucky enough to be able to come in the night before, so you got a little extra sleep, and I love that you have actually a hotel. We're actually working in the lobby of your hotel right now, you know, trying to finish these last little videos and stuff. But going back to the presser today, it was kind of neat, and I'm not sure if a lot of you saw this in the stream, but before things got started, we first noticed that Khabib showed up first, and he was stage left over to the side. But he comes out to the stage and grabs his, his, his uh, belt, from the stage and then goes off. Why do you think he did that? Well, I mean, you have to assume he's seen a McGregor conference before. I mean, in the Aldo one in Dublin, Connor grabbed the belt, and in the Alvarez one in New York, Connor grabbed the belt. So, you know, it's in his repertoire, and I'm sure Khabib uh, knew that, knew that Connor was probably going to come on stage first as the challenger, and he knew that more than likely that's Connor's go to move. Um, what I found interesting though is Connor actually brought his own two belts with it. So actually, he probably wasn't going to grab Khabib's. But I mean, he actually, having said that, maybe he would have. But I, I, it was interesting to see that that was Khabib's level of research. And then, you know, as I'm sure we'll get to, Connor's level of research was even more so. So these are two guys that are, um, there's the old analogy of like, these are two dogs that have been looking through the fence at each other for some time. And evidently more so than just their fight technique. Like they've obviously been studying each other's complete package for quite a while. It's true. And you know what? Uh, who also studied some things even outside of it? Connor went so f as far today as to he knows what security is going to be looking for. He knows what venue is going to be looking for. So lo and behold, when Connor walks up on the stage and he kind of has that little shit eating grin and he's like, I knew y'all be looking for something, whatever. And he whips out his bottle of proper 12. But he also had even the smaller bottle underneath in case they maybe didn't allow him to get the big one in. So he came and prepared. And uh, it certainly seemed like today he, he wanted to use that. And he's done really good the previous days and even after this presser to really promote his, his proper 12 whiskey. Absolutely. And, uh, and to be fair, who can blame him? You know, that's his platform. Um, what I find the most interesting is it's actually a sponsor of the UFC now for every event he's going to fight. I mean, that is insane. I don't think we've ever seen anything like that from a fighter. And obviously... You know, Connor is setting sort of new things every time he comes out. But his, you know, evident glee when someone asks the question and he throws his arm around Dana and gives the mic, going, go on, give it the double one. Dana didn't know what to do. I mean, that was very entertaining, as was him pulling out the small bottle of whiskey. I, again, it's um, little quirks that he does that sort of, it's it's almost like pre-thought out and spontaneous at the same time. It's a hard thing to say, but it those are the images that will you know, remain with us, you know, in the highlight videos of his next press conference, those are the ones where, he, you know, it was, that was great fun. Well, especially one of the, one of the moments that I just uh, cut and I, that we just put on MMA Junkie is the toast. 
I didn't even know it was Khabib's birthday, but that goes, I think, again to the research. Like, he's paying attention to this research, even though he tried to kind of get on uh, Khabib a little bit when he was like, I don't Twitter. Who's looking at that Twitter? I'm like, bro, you're looking at your stuff. Like, you're, you're doing your research. You know, he might say whatever thing, but uh, I thought that toast was pretty interesting going over there and trying to toast for the birthday. Oh, absolutely. And um, I'm sure he probably knew Khabib was going to say no to. I'm sure that's probably part of it. Um, I can't repeat the exact words he said, but uh, when he said, oh, you must be loads of fun at parties or something like that, it was great. Um, I mean, I, I, what a weird position Dana's in. You know, so he's got a sponsorship with this guy, but and then he's got an athlete sitting next to him that, you know, he's supposed to be representing as well. It's a, it's a really weird one. But I very much enjoyed talking about, like, moments with the whiskey. When Connor gets a drink, starts drinking it, and Dana consciously hides the other glass behind the world title belt, Connor stands up at the end and sees it, goes, oh, there it is. And they had like a moment look where he's like, you tried to hide that? It was, that was fantastic too. I'm sure Dana was thinking, what is happening, you know? Yeah, I think it's funny because I think they tried to prepare for everything, and I think that was definitely one of the decisions that probably very, very unpopular amongst the fans with the fact that the fans weren't there. But, you know, I think they've been really paying attention to more of the fine details of what can happen at this thing. So I think they were really kind of nickel and diamond and really trying to do that. Um, but something I did actually, because I brought that up later on in the back, we were uh, a few of us were able to go back in the back when the, the broadcasters, some of the others did the scrum and asked Dana if they were going to step up the security in Vegas for the upcoming ones. And it seems like they've really taken um, some steps to really up the security they're they're trying to plan for everything that's going to happen so hopefully the fans go and have a good time but we know that they're going to get wild we know that they're going to come they're going to they're probably going to have a few uh whiskeys themselves before they go into the match but um it should be pretty fun but um just to, i guess kind of close out this this today i mean overall thoughts i mean it definitely um it had some weird moments you know there were some weird moments when uh ali abdelaziz kind of exerted himself a little bit in the face-off that kind of was maybe not one of the better moments of the presser but overall the presser there was some lot of dark content you know they were really diving into a lot of political stuff that you don't normally see in a lot of these events so I guess overall when you're thinking about it on the event you know Khabib he, he'd talk a little bit but of course Connor you know he, he he's quick to kind of jump on the mic and stuff but Overall, what were your feelings for the overall presser? Was it a good presser? Was it a bad presser? Was it a, a shit show? I mean, what are your overall thoughts on what we were able to see today? It was dark, and Dana even said as such backstage. He said that it was the darkest press conference the UFC have ever had, and it was. And I actually think there's probably a lot of uh, things McGregor said to Khabib that probably very few people actually know the context of what they're saying even right. even like we watching probably don't really truly understand you sort of get the gist but I think we probably don't even understand what's happening so it was dark but what my biggest takeaway was was like it or loathe the content that Connor was saying it is undeniable but that the guy brings a level of excitement that no one else in the sport does. I mean, before the thing started, I think the stream was at like 300,000 people watching before the thing even started. Even standing there, I felt the anxiety you get before a really big fight, you know. And frankly, I just think it's good to have him back. You know, if you like him or not, it's the guy just brings something special. And I think my biggest takeaway from it was it's just good to have the guy back doing what he does best. Can't argue with that. You're right, man. There, There's nothing like a Conor McGregor fight week. Love him or hate him. I mean, the fans, I think part of the, the, the funnest part for me as well, you know, from even when I was a UFC employee, you know, you kind of didn't really pay attention as much to 
the surrounding, uh, the, the fans on the outside, you know, you're just so caught up. But now on the outside, the media being closer to the fans and how much certain fighters means and what it's like to, to interact with these fans. There's nothing like a McGregor fight week. It's it's absolutely bonkers and off the wall. So I am I'm with you. I'm certainly looking forward to this. It should be one crazy show. So um, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Oscar, for hopping on here. Uh, I'm gonna say thank you all for listening. I'm go to go to MMA Junkie. Look at all the stuff. We're gonna cut some more stuff tomorrow. I would cut some more tonight, but I am literally a zombie right now and. Uh, Finishing this podcast is about all I have left in me, um, but stay tuned to MMA Junkie, and if you're so inclined, check out Oscar's work over there at the Mac Life. Give him some love, um, and uh, hey guys, uh, to, to Still Morgan's phrase, I'll just leave you by saying, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.